Well, good morning and welcome again to worship at St. John's. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And on behalf of everyone, we just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, to those of us who are celebrating our earthly fathers, and for all of us as we gather and worship to celebrate our Heavenly Father. That's what worship is. It's, it's singing praises to our Father. It's actually not about us. It's about bringing glory to Him. And the same is true when we turn to his words. So let's do that now as, as we open up our Bibles. If you have one with you, I encourage you at home to open it up and join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to climb through this passage together as we go through it this morning. And uh, let me just say a quick word of prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus, I just uh, thank you that you have given us the the opportunity to worship together, whether we're worshiping in our homes, whether we're worshiping somewhere else, whether we're worshiping outside, God, we know we are united as one in the Spirit of God, in your Spirit that draws us close to you and close to one another. And so I pray that that closeness would bring your peace and comfort to all of us on this Father's Day. God, would you fill those of us who celebrate our earthly fathers with joy for the ways that they reflect your love, And Lord God, would you give us peace and comfort, those of us maybe who have a difficult relationship with our earthly fathers, or those of us who have lost our fathers, knowing that ultimately you are our perfect heavenly father, that we get to come before you and in a very real sense that that Jesus, you described our relationship with the father as saying that when we see you, we see him and that we can call out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. And so we pray that as we are in his presence, that we would be challenged and encouraged and comforted. God, that we would bring glory to your holy name as we learn your word, as we study it, and we as, as we allow it to, to change us from within, to become more like you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Well, again, if you have a, a Bible, would you open it up to First Peter chapter 3? Um, this is our, our third week in a, a sermon series we're calling The Art of Neighboring. And it's one of those series that, that builds on itself. So if you miss the first two Sundays, I encourage you, uh, it's never been easier to catch up. You can go on our YouTube channel, catch up with all the past sermons. You can subscribe to our podcast and listen to it that way. And uh, you'll want to do that because we're learning a very practical art here, and that is to, to do what Jesus has commanded us to do, which is love God and love your neighbor. It's loving your neighbor, the, the great commandment and the great commission. That's our mission at St. John's Church. We, we didn't need to make it up because Jesus gave it to us. Love God and love others in a way that brings hope to the world. And so, so that's what we're doing. And the first week, we, we started by saying, if we're going to learn how to love our neighbors, we got to know who our neighbor is. And so we defined our neighbors as the people around us in need. And then last week, we, we challenged one another to, to make time to get to know our neighbors because there's so many people around us who have such great needs, but we're so busy that oftentimes we're not in relationship with those people, and so we don't have an opportunity to get to know them. We, we shared a simple phrase, make a friend, be a friend, and bring a friend to Christ. You, you don't just go door to door and, and knock on the door and hand out pamphlets. I mean, not that there's maybe anything wrong with that, but we talked about that at our staff meeting this week, and I shared that even as a pastor, I can't stand doing that because I just, I just feel like Jesus gives us such a better way 
to reach other people with his love, and that is by not having any agenda except to love them first. And as we live our life, practically speaking, following the way and the truth and the life of Jesus, that is what shines such a bright light that will bring our neighbors closer to him. Not that we don't talk about it, but we have to become that friend first. And so we talked about that last week, and we said, you know, a very simple step to take is just to be intentional. That if it takes you 10 minutes to walk your block, then take 30 minutes and and ask God to, to give you a divine appointment with one of the neighbors that you don't know. Um, and and that's, that's one way. We talked about that last week. But, but there's another barrier. Once you, once you do start walking the block, there's another thing you're going to run into. And it's the barrier of getting over our fear. Uh, a number of years ago, I had a neighbor that I didn't meet. And I was getting very suspicious of this particular neighbor. My whole family was. I'm embarrassed to tell you the story now. Um, but we didn't get to know this neighbor for quite some time. And instead, we, we just looked out our window and just noticed some suspicious things. Um, his house was not kept like the rest of the houses in the neighborhood. He would come and go at different hours of the day, very quiet, didn't talk to anybody. And sometimes he even disappeared for weeks weeks at a time. And so never having met this man, we we started to come up with all of these these worst case scenarios in our heads about what this guy was and and what he did and we thought maybe maybe he's like part of the mafia or or worse yet maybe he's a packer fan. That was that was really really scary. And so one day we were we were walking our block and and this neighbor was home and he was coming out to check the mail same time we were walking around by his house and I could not take the suspicion anymore. And so I introduced myself and I got to know him a little bit and found that none of our suspicions were true. That that this man was actually a college professor And the reason he came and went to different hours is because his classes were at different hours of the day. Uh, The reason he left for weeks at a time is because he would be a chaperone for some of the college students to be able to go on different trips. And the reason that his house fell into disrepair was because he actually moved in with his girlfriend when they purchased it together, and she left him. And so the house just didn't have the same meaning to him after that. And And so, you know, in all seriousness, that story embarrasses me now because I think that, my goodness, all of my fears about who this person was and and what this person did, they got in the way of any opportunity I could have had to love him. Like, Like maybe I could have been there for him, right? Right when 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 he when he was going through that that breakup, maybe maybe I could have helped mow his lawn when he was on those trips with those other students, but I never was able to do that. And he actually moved shortly after we met, uh, because I didn't get over my fears and take the time to get to know him. But see, I share that because it's just one of many stories that I'm sure all of us have. There's moments right where we look out the window and we think to ourselves, maybe it would just be better if I stayed inside. Maybe it would just be better. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, it feels safer, especially in the world today. But what we learned in the first week in the parable of the Good Samaritan from Jesus is that that we're not called always to be safe. That sometimes we are called to, to interrupt our lives and even our safety to step out and become vulnerable ourselves in order to love the neighbors around us in need. As Christians, we do that because we have a unique ability We have a unique confidence. We have a unique hope that comes from our faith 
that gives us this, this armor of God that Paul talks about that allows us to step out into those moments and love others. And, and this is what it looks like, very practically speaking. It's, it's our reading today from 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Peter's writing this. You remember Peter, the disciple? He's writing this to churches and Christians that are scattered among other people that either don't like their faith or are outright hostile against them. And this is not perceived like my situation, but this is legitimate. And so Peter gives them some very solid advice on how they are called to live in that kind of situation with those kinds of neighbors. Chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I know how I feel when I read verses like this. I almost want to say to God, God, I know that I'm called to suffer. I know that you don't promise to take me out of that on this side of heaven. I know that you call me to take up my cross and follow you. And that's all true. But see, Peter in this passage says that when we do that in our relationships, when we take the high road with others, especially when they're the ones insulting you, what will happen is you will inherit a blessing. Do you see that? And then he fleshes out what that blessing looks like by quoting an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 34, when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, for whoever would love life and see good days. You want to love life and see good days? This is what you must do. They must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now what's really interesting is, is where the context of Psalm 34 comes from. It's, it's a psalm of David. If you don't know the Old Testament history, David was the mighty king of Israel at the height of their reign. But this psalm is actually written about a situation that occurred before David even became king. The king at the time was Saul, and Saul had become very jealous of David because David was becoming very popular. He was going to become the king. He just hadn't become the king yet. Saul had lost the blessing of God. He had lost the popularity of his people. And on top of it, David was having all of this military success. You know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. These were the giants that were the enemies of Israel. And so Saul did what what many kings often do. He wanted to take out the guy who was going to take over for him. He wanted to kill David. And so David was running away from Saul and in his exhaustion ran right into the arms of the enemy in the Philistine city of Gath. And he thought they wouldn't notice him, but he was holding in his hand the sword of Goliath, their mighty warrior that he had killed. And remember, he's really popular in the region, so they know exactly who he is. And before you know it, David is surrounded by his enemies. And so what do you do? And I love this story. In verse uh, 13 of 1 Samuel 21, it says that David pretended to be insane in their presence. 
And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, marking on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, I shared this story back in February when we did this series on fear because we we studied a different psalm that also refers to the same story. And when I read that passage, I shared the the cartoon picture of the Tasmanian devil because I think, man, that's that's what David must have looked like with the, the saliva dripping down his beard and going all crazy. But it worked, and the Philistines let him go. So, so go back to First Peter here. Peter's writing to Christians. He's writing to people like you and me, generations after the crazy David story. And just before he refers to that, he tells us, do not repay evil with evil. Do not repay insult with insult. Instead, repay evil with blessing. Why? Because if that's how you live, you'll look just as nuts as David. <laughs> You'll look just as crazy as David did drooling on himself and scratching on the door. The difference is you're going to look crazy in a good way. You're going to look crazy in a good way because when someone hits you, the world says hit them back. And they actually expect you to do just that. And isn't that so much of what the world is doing right now? Just throwing punches one after the other, after the other, after the other. And so Peter says that if you don't do that, if you stop the cycle by repaying evil and insult with blessing, the world will stop. Your neighbor will stop and say, wait a minute, who are you? Who are you? Why are you acting like that? And, and, and Peter tells us why. He says, because 1 Peter 3.13, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? It's a very practical blessing. He, he says, if you're the guy in the neighborhood that's always helping other people, if you're the guy in the neighborhood that would give your shirt off your back to help somebody else, then chances are good that when you need to have help done for you, if you're in a situation of need, chances are those people are going to be there for you as well. If you're the person that doesn't participate in the gossip of the neighborhood, in the drama, or, or maybe if you catch yourself, you stop and you say, you know what, this is gossip, I'm not going to participate. If you are known as a person of peace and integrity, you will be blessed. But even then, that's not why we do it. It's not why we do it, because sometimes you still suffer. Not because of anything we do, but because sometimes people are so rooted in sin that it doesn't matter what you do, their life is not going to change no matter how much you bless them, and they just continue to come back at you again and again and again. And lest we think that Peter is ignorant to this kind of life, he continues and says in verse 14, even if you should suffer for what's right, because that happens, you will still be blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But don't do it by holding up your rights, which sometimes Christians can be terrible at doing. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you for good behavior, your good behavior in Christ, will be ashamed 
for their slander, for it is better if it is God's if if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And friends, <laughs> this is not how we often teach one another how to really live. If you if you look back right at that video I shared for, for Mother's Day just before the message, right? Like how many of us fathers have told our sons, if somebody hits you, hit them back? Because we don't want to be doormats. And Jesus isn't necessarily calling us to be doormats and take it again and again and again. But what he is telling us is that, that we are living in a world that is often polarized. It was polarized then, and it's becoming more and more polarized now. We're becoming divided more and more by the second. And the natural response, you don't need anyone to tell you, is, is to go and, and hit back and to, to sink your heels into the ground, take your own position and fight, which is why when you act differently than that... When you don't respond that way, it will speak louder to your neighbors than just about anything else you can do. And so that's the way we're called to love our neighbors. Because when they see Jesus' love in you and me, and the blessing that comes when we bless them, and then also when they bless us, we will find that the art of neighboring and loving God and loving neighbors isn't just for them, it's for us as well. That's what all the commands in the Bible are for. God is not a tyrant parent who's just throwing down rules at us from heaven. This is the way we were designed to live. And you will see a taste of the kingdom of God in your neighborhood if you begin and allow it to begin with you. But even if it doesn't, even if you give out blessing and you don't respond to insult with insult, you're not doing it that way for the blessing. The reason you're really doing it is because the hope and love that we have in us comes from him. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.10 when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted for doing the right thing know that their inheritance is the kingdom of heaven. And so in an eternal perspective, if your neighbor doesn't understand that right now, it's okay because you live in the kingdom of God. You already have the kingdom. And so Jesus continues a few verses later by saying, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't even resist an evil person. We would like to run away from them. Don't even worry about it. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take off your shirt, give them your coat. If anybody forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Why? Because Jesus didn't turn away from us when we needed him. Jesus didn't turn away from us when we were the ones who were unrighteous when we were the ones who were offending God with our sin, when we were the ones who could not walk another mile, and so he came down from heaven to rescue us. And if God would do that for you and me, then how can our response not be to do the same for our neighbors? And so let's pray for that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perfect example in life, and in love so that 
Peter could write these words and that we could be encouraged by them and that we could be equipped and confident to know that we are not alone when we step out to live this way. That it is different in a divided world, but it is the thing that will bring the world back together and back to you. And so God, we pray that that would begin with us. God, we pray that we would begin to see those blessings in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, knowing that that those blessings of loving others and then receiving their blessing and love in return, it's a taste of the kingdom of God living right here on earth. But God, in the moments when that doesn't happen, help us to know that the real reason we do it all is because of you, because you first loved us, and because when we are persecuted for doing the right thing, we know that our inheritance is being citizens already in the kingdom of heaven, on this side of heaven, and for all time to the very end of the age. That is your promise, because you're with us. And so as we prepare our hearts to be reminded of that, through the sacrament of Holy Communion, would you touch our hearts that we might know that you are with us, that you love us so that we can go and love others. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.